0: This is Bloomberg Markets. I'm Pim Fox, along with Lisa Abramowitz. We are broadcasting from Pershing Insights 2017 conference at the Manchester Hyatt in San Diego. This year marks 19 years of Insight, 19 years that the company is committed to the success of its advisors. And we are here with more than 2,000 financial professionals from all over the globe. And it's my pleasure to introduce one of those professionals. uh, Mark uh, Taberson joins us. He is the chief executive officer for Pershing Advisor Solutions. He is is also the author of a variety of uh, books related to financial uh, literacy uh, such as uh, Practice Made Perfect How to Value Buy and Sell a Financial Advisory Practice. Mark, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What what is the biggest issue on the minds of uh, registered investment advisors, money managers and uh, I wanted I want to say sort of not uh, very small uh, shops, but those that may have less than uh, 50 people and uh, Uh, are not affiliated with a very large organization.
2: By definition, most uh, registered investment advisors are small businesses if you put an SBA filter through it. Uh, And so they experience many of the same challenges that any small business does. Uh, Probably the most acute challenge is around talent. So the instinct is to say regulation is an issue or market threats is an issue. But there is an acute talent shortage in this business today, and that is uh, creating real limitations on growth for many of these firms.
1: What is the talent that you're talking about in particular? Is, the, is, the, is it the ability to interact with people? Is it the ability to navigate uh, the growing world of robo-advisory uh, software and ETFs? What specifically is the skill that people need?
2: Uh, frankly, it's a skill in all areas, from direct uh, contact with clients to the operations and administrative elements of the business. It's important to know that since 2008, uh, there are 40,000 fewer financial professionals in this country. Uh, There are 1,400 fewer broker-dealers. And what's happened is that the industry has taken such a hit that many people coming out of university are not contemplating this as a career choice. Is
1: it partly because the salaries have gone down?
2: No, actually. uh, This is one of those great careers where you get financially rewarded, intellectually stimulated. You get... uh, uh, opportunity to act independently, uh, to profoundly impact the lives of others. So just add long walks on the beach, it's a pretty good personal ad. <laughs> and, and no uh, no retirement uh, uh, target in terms of when you have to leave the practice, necessarily. Right. Nothing is forcing that. Uh, and so if you think about uh, being a young student looking for a career that's fulfilling and rewarding, uh, then this certainly becomes one of those places to, to come to. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, a couple of years ago, we asked our reverse mentor group, this is a group of millennials, to uh, inquire among the friends who chose not to come into this business why they said not. And first reason was, didn't study finance in schools, so never considered it as a career. Two, they thought that it was just a sales job. And three, they perceived the industry as being corrupt. And so when you have those elements uh, playing against the profession, uh, none of which are true, by the way, uh, it makes it very difficult for us to contemplate how we're going to recruit people to the business. For those of us who uh, remember, there used to be training programs in a variety of the big brokerage firms. Those have basically disappeared. Is there anything that's replacing that? So one of the big challenges, I think, that that is creating this is we used to have big, large, employer-based financial institutions that would recruit people and create a career path for them. Uh, Now what we have is a more fragmented uh, industry. uh, Many small businesses, there are 28,000 registered investment advisors mostly independently owned. Most of them don't have a human capital strategy. So it's really more of an industry crisis than an individual business crisis and it's one of those things that we have to think about. How do we appeal to young people earlier and how do we help those small businesses become more proficient at recruiting and developing talent?
1: You know, I'm, I'm compelled by the idea that there's a shortage of talent at a time when the industry is broadly believed to be contracting. We hear so much about consolidation, about the cost cuts uh, that are going on broadly across the investment industry. How do you square these two ideas?
2: Well, frankly, there's an oversupply of clients and an undersupply of people to provide advice. So, well,
1: let, When you're talking about clients, can you be a little more specific? Which clients in particular are looking for advisors and, and, and are sort of creating the opportunities?
2: These would be individuals at different uh, income and wealth classes. Uh, the robo, so-called robo movement uh, is, uh, is really enhancing the experience that advisors have with, uh, with individuals rather than replacing it. Uh, so uh, that hasn't yet proved to be a threat unto itself. Uh, consolidation is true, at least among the employer-based uh, firms, because they're thinking of return to shareholders. Uh, among the independent firms, the rate of growth has been phenomenal. There were 750 new RIAs that, we, that were formed last year alone. So consolidation is really happening Uh, If you ignore the large companies for a minute, the consolidation among the smaller firms is occurring uh, because uh, these businesses are trying to get to critical mass. They recognize that they have to behave like a business. They have to think strategically, have a human capital plan, focus on operating efficiency. So we're not seeing consolidation happen because uh, old advisors are dead or dying. It's happening because young advisors are thinking, how do I build a real business that's enduring? Wonder if you could speak a little bit about the
0: compensation programs that exist, the models, because previous to coming to Pershing, uh, you were partner in charge at uh, Moss Adams in Seattle, the yes. accounting firm. That's right, and. It, you know, the incentives for fee-based, for uh, commission-based. I'm wondering if you could see the, see your way towards the future, what you think would work, because we know what lawyers do. They charge by the hour. Accountants, that may be a negotiated uh, compensation plan.
2: W- what do you see happening in, in this space? Uh, there's some big changes, but I'd, I'd make a distinction between the revenue generation methodology and the way people get paid once they're inside the firm. So, first is the relationship between the advisory firm and the client. This is the only profession I know where uh, where the client pays based on the value they bring rather than the value the professional brings. The more you have, the more you pay, which is an odd sort of... It'd be like... Right. In the legal profession, for example, a lawyer charges you whatever the lawyer charges you. It right. doesn't matter what your bank account says. Exactly. It'd be, like, it'd be like a doctor charging me by the pound. I couldn't afford them, So <laughs> I'd have to think about that. The uh, So one of the shifts that's happening is... Uh, More of a consistent uh, approach to fee charging. Uh, In fact, a study done by Bob Varies recently showed that 25% of advisors are actually charging a retainer, uh, either instead of or in addition to an asset management fee. So there's a shift towards a more fixed structure. Uh, The variable compensation model around around, uh, commissions is an example. Pershing being the largest clearing firm in the U.S., uh, we've observed since 2008 – that assets on our platform have grown from 5% of the total to 53% of the total. So the shift towards a more advisory fee-oriented type of approach is reflected in our client base uh, quite clearly.
1: Do you think that more people are seeking out financial advisors in order to get guidance about how to use ETFs? In other words, there's this feeling that there are all these passive investments uh, that have relatively low fees, perhaps it's worth paying a little bit more to get some advice on how to I- invest and how to allocate?
2: I think what you find among most advisors is that uh, they use some sort of passive instrument as a core solution, and then the satellite might be active instruments like uh, mutual funds or even individual securities in some cases. But the reason that, uh, that most people are seeking out advisors is because their lives have, lives have become more complex what we're finding it's not just about investing, but it's about the complexity of choices that people have to make around cash flow, around how long will they live, and can they out, uh, will they have enough to to endure? About estate planning, uh, about where they'll live. So uh, these become choices that, as individuals, become. Um, more consumed with the complexity of their lives, they have to seek professional guidance in what they're doing. And I think this is one of the reasons why we find so many people attracted to this business who are not necessarily finance professionals, uh, but really human professionals uh, with a a capability around finance. I want to pick up on that because this idea of consistent
0: guidance, Uh, you go to a doctor when you're sick, uh, you seek legal advice when you need it, uh, but with a financial advisor, whether you're managing the money of an individual or a small business and their pension plan, that's an
2: ongoing relationship. It should be, because uh, our lives uh, don't start and stop with one conversation. Uh, and even in our health, I, I use the concierge program at New York Presbyterian uh, as a, as an ongoing relationship. I find I have more ailments since I've done that, but, uh, but what we see is a, a real change in how Uh, people are thinking about uh, their relationship with the advisors. So uh, clearly what uh, makes a difference uh, is that Uh, When we look at how people are engaging with the advisors, they're trying to deal with more issues that are being Should it be a regularly scheduled
0: meeting? I mean, for example, if you're going to meet every three months, is that enough? Or how should you do it rather than just wait until you have some
2: catastrophe in the market or some problem with an individual's finances? I'll I'll personalize it. In our own example, my wife and I uh, have worked with the same advisor for over 10 years. Uh, we have quarterly meetings, but we have regular communication via email uh, on different issues, on different questions. Uh, and that's an ongoing relationship. And the significance is that they're not just reporting on investment return. They're uh, reporting on the choices that we're making and whether or not we're progressing towards implementing it.
1: I'm sure a lot of people who are uh, closing, clo- uh, getting closer to retirement uh, stay up at night worrying. So I'm sure it would be better for them just to have a conversation with somebody on a more regular basis. Uh, Mark DeBurgeon, thank you so much for joining us. Mike DeBurgeon is Chief Executive Officer of Pershing Advisor Solutions. And he joins us here uh, where we are broadcasting from Pershing's Insight. 2017 conference at the Manchester Grand Hyatt.
2: Thanks for being here.
1: I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm here with Pim Fox, and we are broadcasting from Pershing's Insight 2017 conference at the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego, where more than 2,000 financial professionals are here talking about the future of their industry. And one big question that keeps coming up, the big elephant in the room, is what role will Robor Advisory Services play uh, in their futures? Uh, here with us is Simon Roy, President and Chief Executive Officer of Gemstep, a Silicon Valley based firm that was acquired by Invesco last year. Uh, Simon, I'd love to hear your perspective on the robo-advisory industry and whether it is starting to take over some of the jobs that previously uh, were filled by humans in the advisory industry.
3: Yeah, thanks Lisa, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share perspective on this. I think um, technology has been sweeping through many industries. Uh, We've seen it in media, we've seen it in commerce, we've seen it in travel. And so those same trends that have driven it, which is consumer adoption of technology, are starting to be felt in the financial services industry. And so the initial robo-advisors that came out appear to be barbarians at the gate, right? They're going to tear down the edifice of the financial services industry, take over the market, and everyone's going to be using robo-advisors just like they use... Amazon, Google, Netflix. Hasn't turned out that way. Uh, investing is different. It is a very emotional issue. It's very high complexity and consequence for individuals. And so the role of the advisor, the role of judgment, the role of expertise is quite critical. And so we've seen, we have not seen that sort of hockey stick growth that we've seen in some of the other technology sectors in financial services. And what we're seeing is a trend towards the adoption of technology by financial services firms to enable advisors, is essentially creating a bionic advisor, a combination of the best of, of people and relationships with the best of
0: technology. And that that's essentially the business Gem Step is in. I want to see if we can take one step deeper into the pool here because uh, let's say you are a registered investment advisor and you are on the BlackRock platform or you're using TD Ameritrade or you're using Northwestern or Pershing or whatever, but you've got a platform. You have your own digital, what they call wealth management platforms out there. Um, What Gemstep, I understand, does, as well as many other some other competitors, is you're able to offer online advice having to do with portfolio, perhaps construction or allocation, but in relationship to the registered advisor. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah. So essentially, the, the business Gemstep is in is helping connect investors with advice and quality advisors. And so we do this by providing a a platform, a digital advice platform, Gemstep Advisor Pro, to advisory firms. So our clients are the registered investment advisors or the broker dealers or the banks. And we provide a platform, they put their logo on it, it's their platform, we're a technology service provider to them, but what what it enables them to do is to have a prospect or a client go through that same process that they would sitting in front of an advisor so answer questions about what goals are important to them, retirement, college savings, in the same way as they would if they were sitting with someone. Um, fill out a risk tolerance questionnaire, a very friendly questionnaire asking about when are you planning on, to retire, various questions, how much risk are you willing to take.
0: Are those answers actually read by human beings or is the information that is then uh, reported uh, to the client where does that information come from? How is that constructed?
3: Yeah, th- th- that's a great question. I think it, if if I could, the 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 process w- essentially allows people to onboard just like you can download an app on a pla- you know on, on a phone. It allows them to onboard as a client if they're ready without having to talk to the human. But it is they're onboarding to that firm. They have access to the advisors. They have access to um, the judgment and and the experience of the firm, the investment strategies. So. To answer your question, the, the answers are input into the system, but the way they are responded to, the way they, the, the client is guided to a portfolio is based on the judgment of those humans at the firm. So, if I'm sitting in front of you as an advisor and I fill out a paper-based questionnaire, I'm going to get a risk score. Based on that, I'm going to be put into a portfolio. The fact that I'm entering it on a computer as opposed to on a piece of paper is not going to change the quality of the portfolio I'm put into. It's just easier for, you know, Mary on Sunday morning at home to be able to complete this because she has a busy schedule and maybe doesn't want to go to an advisor, doesn't have time. She can complete this, be put into a portfolio that will be well suited to help her get to retirement and get on with her life. And so essentially what we're doing is we're helping these firms take what used to take about three months and put it into 12 minutes.
1: You know, Simon, as you talk, I'm struck by how familiar this feels. I mean, this is basically what we do in most aspects of our lives. When we order something online, uh, when we search for airplane tickets, are you surprised that it has taken as long as it has for the financial industry as a whole to adopt some of these fairly basic technological advances?
3: Uh as as a you know as an executive of a technology services firm in this industry, uh, I certainly would have liked it to have happened a lot faster. Um, what's
1: the What's the reluctance? Money,
0: money is different.
1: Well, hold on a when second. You're, but when
0: you're in tr- when you're connected in a in some kind of legal way with somebody's money, uh, well, it can make things different
3: is in is everybody's that mind. Th- is
1: that the issue I with I money, th- or th- is it a different issue with I money?
3: I, I, I think it's a combination. I uh, one of the biggest issues that. That we're dealing with here is change, you know behavior change. We're dealing with humans. Technology is just a means to an end. Which humans, though, the, both. the clients it's both.
1: Or, or the uh, financial that, advisors? That, that's
3: the key. It's both. Now, typically, technology has been driven from within the industry. Right? ETFs, mutual funds, index funds. Product based. Pr- well, it, partly product, but also ATMs in the banking industry comes from within. This is the first time technology has been driven from you and me. From the consumer and so the consumer adoption of this technology is actually helping drive behavior change of the advisors of the home office and of the back office within any every one of these firms so that has been the constraint getting enough traction showing enough adoption by consumers and the opportunity for these firms to say huh things are changing
1: Well, I will tell you, the cynic in me wonders if it's a different money issue than what PIM is talking about, which is that investment firms have a vested interest in not making a cookie-cutter program that people could just input data into and get an answer that's spit out in 12 minutes that reduces a a lot of the workflow and a lot of the legitimization that they might have been able to provide for the fees.
3: So I'm going to take issue with the way you characterize it. Great. Please do. When you think about your life as... I mean, your life cycle as an investor is looking to achieve your goals your entry point into investment management may be a 12 minute process which is great because it gets you towards advice the issue we're dealing here with here is most people have no access to advice and so if we can make it easier for the mass affluent and the mass market to actually get decent advice end up with better outcomes 12 minutes that is a phenomenal outcome but that is an entry point then you get married, or you get a big bonus, or you have kids, or maybe there's a parental issue. Your, your needs become more complex. You're looking for judgment. And so really what we're trying to do is reduce that friction to get in, to get decent portfolio advice, but then make accessible the advisors
0: if and when you need them. And that's that bionic advisor. I'm just going to throw out a couple words for you, but I want to just give you the context. BlackRock and uh, Future Advisor, uh, Fidelity and E-Money Advisor, Northwestern Mutual, LearnVest, and now Invesco, Gemstep. Uh Would it be accurate to describe uh, this industry as one that is taking advantage of a generational shift as well, because last time I checked, you look at anybody you know, who doesn't have gray hair, and there's no paper around, there's no pens or pencils. They're not writing anything. In fact, they're not even taking telephone calls. They're just texting or they're on their mobile devices.
1: I take issue with that, but go on. Okay, (laughs) well. uh, But
0: But but uh, you you But you you get my point, which is that that no one today, uh, if you're in business and sends you a message, if it's a customer, you're gonna respond to them relatively quickly. But having said that there are some industries, maybe like the medical industry try getting the doctor to call you back uh, there are some industries which have not embraced the technology. Is that what you've found? Uh, clearly, the, the rising tide of digital adoption
3: is just sweeping through the consumer I mean, the consumer space. It's not just the millennials. Uh, there, there was an initial conception that it's the millennials, they're digital. You have a smartphone? Netflix? He's Amazon. Nodding. I want to say he's nodding. Oh, yes. No, it, no, no. I was going to say we, we, I still have some hair that is not gray. I, 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 I'm not sure I can say the same, but it's, you know, I say, essentially it's all of us. And so we're addicted. We, well, it's it's addicted. We're addicted because it is so efficient and engaging. It means you can have access to, you know, two services. To everything. Well, but that's the point. You have access to everything that previously had so much friction you didn't consume. One of the things you didn't consume was advice. And so firms like Invesco look at this and say, we want to add value to our advisory firm clients. Technology is a key key factor going forward. It's a rising tide. We want to make sure that we're able to add that as a, as a pillar, as one of the value adds you know, we can provide. So that's, that's the rationale.
0: Well, thanks for providing us with the opportunity to speak with you and learn about the business. Much appreciated. Simon Roy is the president and the chief executive of Gemstep by Invesco. And we are broadcasting from Pershing Insight 2017. The conference is taking place at the Manchester Hyatt in San Diego. And this year marks 19 years of Insight, 19 years. The company is committed to the success of its advisors. And uh, we are here along with more than 2,000 financial professionals from all over the world. This is Bloomberg.